0: Well, I know you appreciate the ministry of the worship team. It is a uh, Go ahead. We've got time. <laughs> Stephen Covey in his marvelous wildly best-seller book The 7 Habits of Highly Effective People said, "I want you to begin with the end in mind." So I'm going to begin with the end in mind this morning the very last book of the Old Testament. Some of you call it Malachi. In, in Italy, we call it Malachi. But I want you to read the very last verse of the Old Testament, the very last verse. And I want you to uh, listen to God's Word, and we're going to bow our hearts in prayer. So glad that you are here today. That's right, we'll take time to do whatever electronic thing. If you have uh, still something that looks like this, that's fine. Malachi chapter 4, beginning with verse 5, the very, very last part of the Old Testament says this, "'See, I will send you the prophet Elijah "'before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes.'" He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. There is a powerful movement that is about right now, and that is to try to understand what's going on in the lives of the young people. My goal today is that you would leave today with the heart that is enlarged and in many ways a heart that is broken for the teenagers of our church. I put in the pastoral message, you can take a look at it in your bulletin, I wanna read it to you, about venturing into a teenager's world. It can be on the one hand, exciting, confusing, troubling, Friendly, awkward, tumultuous, all at the same time. The period of adolescence begins with the ending of childhood and eventually leads to the beginning of adulthood. But the land of in-between can be challenging for everyone. My encouragement to us as a church, be patient. Remember that you were a teenager once. Let me say that again. You were a teenager once. How many were? Can I see your hands? All right, I just, just want to know that I'm speaking to the right crowd here. You were a teenager. How many of you wish you were a teenager? How many of you are glad that that came to pass? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, the scripture says, and these things came to pass. Well, adolescence is a period of profound identity formation Also, it will come to pass. In the meantime, learn to love and enjoy the wonderful world of teenagers, and may we embrace the teens of our church in a fresh and vibrant way, for they represent the future of our church. In the scriptures, in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 11, it says, even a child is known by their actions and Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way that that he should go. When I was growing up in the church that was a sister church to this church, there were times were very different. Remember I said last week there was the message that that a a praying knee and a dancing foot didn't grow on the same limb. And uh, you didn't go to the movies, you didn't go to those that, that wore makeup, you didn't go to uh, the shows, you didn't listen to certain kinds of music because your toe could start tapping and people would notice that and they'd say, oh my, you've gone to the other side. And uh, thankfully many of those days are over and we can worship and dance and celebrate with the Lord and thank you for the worship team that helps us do that. But I i always thought, thought of that verse, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. And I always dreamed, and I was taught, that if you spank them enough, if you're firm enough, if you, are, uh, if you scold them enough, if you bring them to church every single time that the doors are open, and you make them feel guilty for any temptation that they ever feel, that someday it'll all catch, and they'll want to grow up and be ministers and missionaries. <laughs> Dr. Dobbins taught me, he said, you know, there's really a different way to look at that verse. And it says this, train up a child in the way he should go. Which implies that there's different kinds of training for different kinds of kids. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that. In 1 Corinthians uh, 13 11, it Paul himself was a teenager. He said, when I grew up, I... Well, he said, you know, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I was a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Colossians says to parents, don't embitter your child. Don't corner them in so much that they give up, that they lose hope. And finally, 1 John 5, 1. I'm giving you the scriptural basis of everything we're going to talk about this morning. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 ...talking about Jesus, but also talking about the children of this church. That is, if you love the Father, you love the child. And one of the things that I want you to come away from today... ...and I'm praying God's Holy Spirit will help us... ...is that your heart as a church, as a community... ...that your hearts would be enlarged... ...that your hearts would be broken... ...for the children, for the teenagers of this church... Let's pray together. Father in heaven, now we just come. We thank you for the time of worship, the time of giving, the time of celebration, the time of greeting. And now I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would do a miracle and take this truth of your word the long distance from the head to the heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to talk about teens today, we're going to talk about venturing into a teenager's world, and we're going to talk about a teenager's what's going on in the life of a teenager. Think about what happens, and teenagehood starts actually a lot earlier nowadays, and it lasts a lot longer these days. Sometimes teenagehood or adolescence starts as early as age 10 or 11, and in some cases, adolescence now is moved up to age 25, 26, 27. That's a long period of time. We're going to find out what's going on in the life of a teenager in their body, in their mind, in their emotions, in their social life, and in their spiritual life. ...and some practical ways to love our teens... ...because oftentimes we're saying, what happened to my... ...read it, nice, respectable, happy, obedient... ...I want to be with you all the time, mom and dad... ...whatever happened to that child? Because sometimes now they're saying, my goodness, things have changed. What happened? Where is my child? Have you ever felt that way? Now I want to say this to you, please look at me, eyeball me for just a minute... Every, every one of us has a responsibility to the teens of this church. I'm going to say that again, that every one of us has a responsibility to the teens of this church. And one of the things that I want to see happen today is that there would be a revival in our hearts, an enlargement for the teens of this church. Because so many things are happening in their lives. The, their bodies are changing, some amazing changes Uh, Their voice is changing. Their energy is changing. Their sexual desire is changing. We can talk about that in church, can't we? The fact that they go through puberty and hormones begin to flow and it just creates a lot of confusion and self-concept is huge and body image is huge. I've talked to several teens even this week about some of the changes that are going on in their body and what's going on. And sometimes teenagers are saying, you know, my parent at one time says, grow up. And then when I start acting grown up, they say, what do you think you're doing? You're still a child. And that goes on. And then, of course, when puberty hits, usually the girls, it gets them about two years before the boys. And it's not unusual for a seventh grader boy to be looking up at the girl who's about three inches taller than him. And he says, do you want to go together? (laughs) And she looks down at him and says, of course. That happens because of the changes that are going on in the body. And, of course, the guys begin to change, too. You know, one of the first signs of boys going into puberty is their feet and their hands start to grow. And by the time they're in seventh or eighth grade, they're already wearing size 10, 11, and 12 shoes. If it's the right shoe, I've been told. By a seventh grader yesterday, I was interviewing him about the message today. He said, it's got to be the right shoes. They've got to be Air Jordans because you've got to be cool. And then, of course, one really big thing for boys is that first facial hair. I still remember I was in 10th grade in my biology class, and the teacher looked up, and I don't know what she was thinking. She says, so how many of you guys are shaving already? And I'm there just dying. I'm kind of trying to find one, and I, say, I pull it out. I say, yes, I'm shaving! And Leroy, sitting in the back of the room, said, oh, I've been shaving since about fourth grade. <laughs> His voice had changed, and all the body parts had changed, and all the things had started to change, and some of those things, and embarrassed, like you cannot believe. And then all the changes, the oil on the skin, and the pimples, and being cool, and making sure that you've got the cool clothes, and glasses, and everything else. There's a lot of things that go on with teenagers where they, in many ways, they will focus, they want to know how they are doing in relation to their friends. It's amazing how when, te- when kids are younger, they look up to their parents. Most often they, they look to their parents for guidance, but when they become teenagers, the peers even become more important at times than the parents. They're developing their identity and they're developing... A lot of different areas in their life. And the fact is, is that teenagers, this was an amazing research article done just a couple of years ago in National Geographic. The cover article was Understanding the Teenage Brain. Now, wouldn't you like to do that if you could? The teenage brain, it turns out that this prefrontal cortex, that part of that brain that develops, that has to do with decision making and thinking about consequences and choices that they make and delayed gratification, that is being formed while teenagers are going through adolescence. But it's also the time when they are sometimes making some of the biggest choices of their life, and sometimes that decision-making process is not fully formed. Interestingly enough, they would say that the research has shown that teenagers will do certain things with other teenagers that they would never do if there was an adult present. One teenager was driving his car and he had gotten the family car and had been arrested and, and, he was, and the article was talking about you know, what was going on. He said, well, I, I guess I was speeding a little bit. And the mom said, well, just how fast were you speeding a little bit? He said, 110 miles an hour. (laughs) But he was with a friend. And teenagers will oftentimes do with their friend that they would never do with an adult. It's interesting. A lot of decisions that teenagers are making. Think about this. While their brains are being formed, they're making lots of decisions about cars and parties and cigarettes and dating and school. And what do they do with their free time and all the pins and pokes and studs and tattoos and and sex and cyber relationships and their whole self-concept and their God concept and we could probably if I were to open this up say what else are teens dealing with all these are choices that are making at a time when the brain is still forming and when their decision-making is not complete they develop something Piaget talked about the the different developmental parts of of what goes on in in the life of a teenager, and he said they move from very concrete thinking to formal operations where, in many cases, teens develop this ability to to, uh, uh, handle concepts and ideas, and they begin to think hypothetically and abstractly, and and they begin to problem-solve in new ways, and they begin to question authority. Yes or yes? And they begin to ask why, and this rule doesn't make sense, and why do I have to do this, and why do I have to be home at a certain time, why can't I hang out with certain kinds of people? It's, those are kinds of, it's called, are you ready for this? Look at me, are you ready for this big word? Normal. <laughs> Can you say the word normal? It's called normal. This is what goes on in the life of a teenager. And then when we apply it to parenting, some of the behaviors that adolescents do are a result of the increase in this reasoning ability. They're going to question you more. Instead of taking this as a personal attack, keep in mind that this is part of their development. I said it's called what? What's the word? Say it again. Normal. Normal. They've discovered new ways of thinking, and they've, they've got all different ways of communicating Yes, and one of uh, my teen friends gave me all of these new words. Not only are there iPhones and iPods and iPads and Twitter and Facebook, how many of you know what Vine is? Let me see your hand. I'm impressed. How many of you know what an Instagram is? How many have ever gotten an Instagram? How many of you know what a s- <laughs> How many of you know what a selfie is? Come on, let's talk about it. That's right. And you know, when we talk about rules, rules and consequences have a large impact on how your adolescent perceives them, you know, when you identify positive and negative consequences. And may I say this, look at me please. Teenagers want, want to know where the limits are. Now, they're not going to tell you, I want to know where the limits are. But trust me, I'm a psychologist. I know these things. And teenagers really want to know where the limits are. But they are normally, I'm using the word what? Normal. They are going to test the limits. And some parents are thinking, oh, my teenager's gone to the devil. What am I going to do? Oh, Lord Jesus, help us. And it's called what? Normal behavior. So my recommendations are the fact that you watch some of the buttons that you push for teenagers. Preaching, labeling, questioning your teen's restlessness not tolering experimental behavior. And of course, there are limits on all of that, but the fact is, is that your teen is growing, not only physically, intellectually, emotionally, socially, spiritually. Your teen is going to test the boundaries. Your teen is growing up. The brain is being formed. They're learning new ways of thinking. And that's called... Normal. normal. And teens know how to push buttons as well. Oh, you never let me do anything. Oh, you don't love me anymore. I hate you. I hate this family. They sometimes swear. Listen, it's not the end of the world. They're not on their way to hell if they try some new language. It's not the end of the world. God can handle it, trust me. Uh, a disgusted look. Okay, let's try it. Let's, let's just practice so we get the drama out of the way. Oh, oh. The rolling of the eyes, <laughs> the <sighs> Whatever. Can you say whatever? Whatever. And roll your eyes at the same time? Whatever. That's a button pusher. A teen says, I hate you, I hate school, I'm not going to school. And the parents, I always say to parents to say to the teen, you know what? If I were you, I would feel exactly the same way, probably even worse. Can you practice that? If I were you, I would feel exactly the same way and Now, that will probably be very confusing to your teenager, I suspect. Some of the long-term effects of a teenager's low self-esteem are the fact that oftentimes if they don't deal with this, if they don't have some big people in their life that communicate love and acceptance and warmth and caring, they will develop an image of themselves that is distorted. And sometimes it can lead to poor self-concept. They may, in fact, be feel like they're an outcast or all alone, and difficulty trusting. Can I just say this? I mean, this is I'm, this is a this is uh, from my heart to this church. Listen to them. Watch this. You ready? I'm going to demonstrate this. You ready? The scripture is very clear about not answering a matter before you hear it and listening far more than we are talking. And teenagers really respond well, in most cases, if they are listened to. You can challenge them to think about new things. They will begin to think about their Christian beliefs. They can question Christianity and what it means to them in their lives. And instead of viewing their questioning as a challenge, look at it as an opportunity to explain your beliefs and help them to embrace these beliefs as their own. And usually, in fact, the research is very clear that at the age of 17 is the single most frequent year where teenagers' faith becomes their own. Age 17. It's an amazing thing that, you know, when we set rules and consequences that they should be clear, This is part of real life, and throughout life there are positive and negative consequences for behaviors. God established this. God gave Israel lots of rules. Listen, can I just say this? God Almighty had problems with his kids, too. (laughs) Would you agree with that? From the very beginning, he set the rules, and the rules were broken, challenged. Did God really say that? I mean, doesn't that sound familiar? Did mom really say that? Did dad really say that? That's what happens early on. And some of the things, some recommendations for rules that I have is that, that they be lean and clean. You have some rules about grades and expectations about school, some rules about the use of technology, the u- some rules about friendships, some rules about certain behaviors like curfew and drug and alcohol abuse and respect and sexual behaviors, and you have some rules about the car keys. One of the big rites of passage. So let's talk about venturing into a teen's emotional world. The best form of teaching is modeling. They're going to oftentimes have very volatile emotions. You know what the word volatile means? That's just a big technical term, which means they're up and down. And often, they're going to have some mood swings. And one of the best things you can do for a teenager is to do what? Listen. And, and listen. S- and then speak. Seek to understand your teen's personality. Let's talk about, there's six basic personality types. This is, this is fun for a psychologist to be here. I love it. And, and we're going to talk about these six basic personalities. Here they are. The first one is called a realistic personality, a realistic uh, ty- type of a teen. Remember, train up a child in the way that he should go, and then when he's old it's unlikely that he's going to depart from it. That's what the scripture says. So you find out what is your teen's bent which is the way that they are going? What is their personality? And then you give them lots of experiences and lots of opportunities within that personality. And then when they grow older, they will not depart from it. Does that just not, if that makes a little sense? Get to know your teenager. Get to know the teens of this church. Ask them about their favorite subjects in school, ask them about what they enjoy doing, ask them about their future plans. The realistic type of a teenager likes sports and outdoors kinds of things and tools. And they build things, and they are kind of traditional, and they, 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 they have this uh, way of kind of planning things heads up, and they like sports and athletics. It's not unusual. It's not unusual that they like tools. I did this one time with my son. I made a big mistake. My middle son, who's very artistic, I tried to give him lots of experience. I thought I was a good parent. After all, I'm a psychologist, I should know. But here's my artistic son, and I took him to a hardware store. I said, I said, we're gonna go and just smell the tools. Ah! Ah! The grease. Oh, man. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, that's the stupidest thing we've ever done. Don't ever do that to me again. I mean, I'll tell you what, I learned some hard lessons, but I also found that there's also a type of a teenager that is more investigative. That investigative teen likes science. They like mathematics. They like languages. Oftentimes, they are going to go into the medical field or the engineering field. They enjoy analyzing things. They like questioning things. They are very curious. Even as younger children, they're curious. They like to build things. They're very involved with technology. They, I mean, the look on this guy's face, he couldn't be any more happy that he's got an Apple computer. <laughs> and he's got a little protege there he's kind of bringing along. And the fact of the matter is they like science, and they like investigating and computers. Well, maybe your child, your teen, is not realistic or investigative. Maybe they're more artistic. They have a lot of way to self-express. They enjoy writing and creating and making music, or they value beauty and originality and independence. And their mantra is kind of like, you know what? I'll do it my way. And they oftentimes will be involved in writing and, and uh, uh, creative things and making things and music. And drama, and with many teenagers, there is a lot of, a lot of drama. Oh, whatever, (laughs) you know. Well, maybe your teen is a social type of a teen where that, and, and by the way, I think this church is loaded with social types. I mean, to get you into a service is amazing because you like to talk with each other after the service, you hang out with each other. There's groups all over. And, that, and I think that's a wonderful thing. That's part of the body of Christ. That social teen is a teen that likes their friends. They're always doing selfies and Instagrams. And that social teenager values cooperation and helping and teaching and training. They, they enjoy being with others. Well, there's another type. It's called an enterprising teen. The enterprising teen is the teen that that is really very much of a leader. Amongst their peers, they kind of rise to the top. They enjoy teaching, training. Usually they're seen as, at times, just a little bit bossy. Does anyone know a teen like that? How many of you were a teen like that? (laughs) Let's be honest. They tend to rise to leadership. They tend to be in charge. They tend to, when they're in a group, the group looks to them. When they're in school, the others in their class say, you ask the teacher if we can have extra recess. That's the enterprising. And then one final one. By the way, they, they take charge. They're leaders. And then you have not only the realistic, investigative, artistic, social and enterprising kind of a teen, but you've got a teen that's very conventional. Some teens, believe it or not, there are some teens that are very conventional and you've never had to say, clean your room. Does that seem like amazing? I mean, their room is always clean. Their sock drawers are color-coded. Everything is in its place. All that They've never lost an assignment for school. I mean, these teens are like... Oh, my goodness. And they value accuracy. They like things to be just so. They like to plan it out. And if you surprise them too much, they get a little bit nervous. That's the conventional kind of team. But that kind of team values accuracy and stability and efficiency and standard. They go to bed at night reading standard operating procedure manuals. (laughs) But you know what happens with these teens? They end up growing up to be the people that count the money, and they are business people, and they oftentimes will get into programming, and they will oftentimes lead through that kind of technology. Here's the point. Listen, okay? Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And the question then becomes, well, Who's going to be my best friend? Well, in most cases, teenagers will choose someone who is like them, similar to them, similar kinds of interests. They hang out together. They are the group that hangs together. As they used to say, birds of a feather flock together. That's actually pretty wise advice. And they will oftentimes end up being best friends with someone who is most like them. Who's least likely to be their friend? Probably someone that's least like them. Now the big question becomes for teenagers, who am I most likely to marry? Well, I'm not going to tell you. you have to wait until we talk about marriage. But take a guess. You're probably exactly right. What you're thinking is exactly right. Yeah, the opposites. In about 80% of cases, a teenager will marry someone that's opposite of them to fulfill them, to complete them. We call it the law of complementarity. What a word. Now, when you venture into a teen's world, are you still with me? Are you thinking of a teenager that you can begin to love on and get to know better? Are you, really, I'm serious. This is, this is, that's really the main goal of this, is that your heart would be enlarged, that we would do what Malachi says, or Malachi, and that our hearts would be turned to our kids in a new and fresh way. Expose them to the love of God by helping that teenager know that without question, all the time, 100% of the time, without exception, they are lovable to God, they're valuable to God, they are forgivable, they're changeable, thank God, and they are not ever going to be alone. That's what a teenager needs to know from the big people in their life. They need to know that somebody cares about them, that there's empathy for them. And that means, listen, here's, I mean, listen. let's not get tangled up in the words. The word empathy simply means you get into their world. You try to, as hard as it may be, you actually try to think what they're thinking. That may be a challenge. And you get into their world, and you do that by listening to them. And you realize that so much of teenage behavior is called what? Say it. Normal. Most teenagers expect to be disciplined, but teenagers resent being judged. Don't always assume that a teenager has an evil motive for what they do. Teenagers are struggling today with all different kinds of temptation when they're hungry, when they're angry, when they're lonely, they're tired, if they're bored, if they're anxious, if they're depressed. The enemy is going to try to bring them down and bring discouragement, and they oftentimes will make bad choices, oftentimes on the Internet. and Pornography is a huge issue, and getting into some of the different things. Listen, can I just say this? Enlarge your heart to the kids of this church. Let your heart be broken for them. They are the future of this church. I mean, I I want you to hear that passion. They are the future of our church. Love them. Get into their world. Venture into a teenager's world physically, intellectually, emotionally, socially, spiritually. Get to know their personalities, whether they're more realistic or investigative or artistic or social or enterprising or conventional. Get to know them. Nurture them, admonish them, give them some healthy boundaries, but have mercy, be approving much more than you are disapproving. Teach by modeling. And then, listen, this is going to sound almost weird, but here it is. Do something generous towards the teenagers. Like, wouldn't it be neat if the teenagers of this church this week got a card or two, or ten, from somebody that had a little gift card to Panera's, Chipotle, or some other place where a teenager is likely to hang out or like that kind of food? Wouldn't it be neat if they had a little card that said, I just want you to know, uh, I haven't gotten to know you really well, but I want you to know that I love you, I care about you, I'm praying for you. Don't you think that that would anchor a teenager to the church? I mean, in in all honesty, don't you think that that would have something when you serve them with small gifts, maybe fill up their tank with gas, maybe make breakfast for them, not in bed, but that's going a little bit far, but maybe just make breakfast for them, do something special for them, hug them appropriately, recognize that they need prayer Christ is interceding. Church, I pray that our hearts would be enlarged and broken for the teenagers of our church. I pray that that you would help teenagers to know that if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you help teenagers know that decisions determine your destiny. That you help them transition, that you move as a parent from power to influence, where you become an advisor to them, where you become a counselor to them, where you become the big person in life that models for them. And listen, if you are struggling as an adult with some kind of moral issue in your own life, realize that you are saying so much by your behavior, even more than by your words. Inspect what you expect, but make sure that you give them lots of praise and Smiles and avoid labeling them. Just tell me you're with me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is, listen, this is important to God. This is something that is extremely important to God the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. So let me say this when you discipline a teenager in a non conflict time, when things are going relatively well, you set the boundaries. And then you expect to be tested. It's called normal. Normal. Expect to be tested. And when you are tested, when the teenager steps over that line, when they break that rule, when they step over that boundary, don't get into lecture 101, 102, 103, and 1010. Just simply say, in fact, don't say, why did you do that? Because teenagers don't know why they do what they do oftentimes. Just simply say, what did you do? And you follow through with consequences, with very little nagging. And then you reassure them, you know what? I want you to know that you're lovable, you're valuable, you're forgivable, you're changeable. Thank God you're changeable. You're never going to be alone. I love you completely. And it's never, my love for you is never, ever, ever going to be dependent on what you do or don't do. It's absolutely unconditional. Somebody say amen to that. That's what teenagers need. And then you reteach them and you say, we're going to probably have to skin this cat again at some point. You love your adolescent. With changes in adolescence, there comes the opportunity to release your child in whole new ways. Be a little bit playful. If they don't get up, when you ask them to get up, get a squirt gun. (laughs) That did work for us for a little while. They did not like that. Getting us getting squirted, that, wouldn't that be awful? It works. <laughs> but have some fun with them. Be a little bit playful with them. Not everything is a crisis, even though everything seems like a crisis, and I can't believe this is happening, and all the drama. Look for ways to spend time with them that's not focused on rules and consequences. Instead of trying to solve their problems, do what again? How many times have I said it already today? Do what? Listen to them. Listen, listen, listen. Exactly. It's called normal. (laughs) normal. Get to know, listen, and I'm going to close with this. I am pleading with you, church, all around. I am pleading with you to get to know your teens, get to know their names, introduce yourself, ask them about them, ask them what their interests are, ask them what is going on in their life. Get to know them. Do small tasks for them, Uh, little gifts. Honor their name, praise and encourage them often. They need that. Teenagers, venturing, venturing into A teen's world. Let me kind of finish up with what I started with. We talked about venturing into a teenager's, what's going on in their physical world, in their intellectual world, in their emotional world, in their social world, in their spiritual world. Venturing into a teenager's world can be exciting, confusing, troubling, friendly, awkward, and tumultuous all at the same time. That's the uniqueness of adolescence. And can I say this, church? Please hear me. Allow teens to be adolescents when they are adolescents. Don't expect perfection. Just expect progress. Because if, listen to me, I'm I'm asking you to trust me on this. 35 years and 30,000 hours of clinical experience I'm giving to you right now. If you don't allow teens to be teens when they are teens, they will try to go through being a teen when they are in their 30s and their 40s, and I can tell you that most marriages don't tolerate that very well. (laughs) You're hearing what I'm saying. And this incredible period of adolescence begins with the ending of childhood, and eventually leads to the beginning of adulthood, but the land of in-between can be challenging for everyone. Be patient. Remember, you were a teenager once. Do you remember the scripture that says, and these things came to pass? Adolescence, a period of profound identity formation will also come to pass. Somebody say amen. And in the meantime, church, I implore you, the worship team's going to come, and we're going to sing. In the meantime, I implore you to learn to love and enjoy the wonderful world of teenagehood. Embrace the teens of our church, because they are, in fact, the future of our church. Amen? God bless you. Thanks so much for being here. And uh, we're going to sing. And listen, uh, you know, let's just stand together. Let's, uh, let's do this. And uh, in, a, in a very contemplative, reasonable way this morning. Think about somebody that, that needs good modeling. Think about that teenager that may be sitting next to you or by you. Think of your own kids or grandkids. Think of the powerful influence you have as a big person in the life of a teen. It's kind of a scary world. And they need the big people to be stable, loving, and caring in their life. Lord Jesus Christ, will you come, and as you said that you would cause the hearts of the fathers to be turned to their children, hearts of the children to be turned to the fathers. Lord, help us to realize that the parents of our church need help, the teenagers of our church need loving. I pray that as we just worship now and, and bring this message deep to our heart, help us in Jesus' name.